podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router. And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast of a Wednesday, the 18th of January, a snowy 18th of January, I must say, uh, if the snow could just, you know, find its way further north, it'd be great. Um, if anyone from Scandinavia, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Middlesbrough wants to come and get their weather from my back garden, I'd much appreciate that. <laughs> How are we? Liverpool won a game of football last night, so I'm rather chipper today. Uh, FA Cup, third round replays. Uh, my mistake, Leeds Cardiff is tonight. I thought it was last night. I'm not sure if it was moved. Accrington Stanley Burnley has been postponed till next week. 
because of an unplayable pitch. I can only assume that game will be played to its completion because it's on the 24th and the fourth round starts on the 27th. So I have to assume that that game takes place with extra time and penalties built in. Last night, we had our one third round game that wasn't a replay. It was Forest Green against Birmingham. Ben Stevenson put Forest Green one up on eight minutes. Someone called Lucas, who has a surname that I can't pronounce, scored on 50 minutes to equalize for Birmingham. And then Kevin Long gave Birmingham the win in the 65th minute. Good Irish lad. Kevin Finbar Long. Can't beat a fella called Finbar. It's just, it's a tremendous name. It it speaks of power. So Birmingham are through and they will move on to the fourth round. Also going through is Bristol City. They overcame Swansea in extra time. Mark Sykes scored on 62 minutes, but Bristol won up. Ollie Cooper equalized for the home side on 73, but Sam Bell scores the winner on 112 minutes. And Bristol City, you're having a pretty rotten season. Get some joy, and through they go. Also through Luton Town. This game looked like it was heading for extra time. Tilo Asgard scored for Wigan on 46. Colley Woodrow equalised for, for Luton on 51. And Elijah Adebayo scored in the eighth minute of stoppage time with the game seemingly destined for extra time to send Luton through. Luton will have expected to go through, but still, to win away in the FA Cup is always good. Wolves nil, Liverpool won. Harvey Elliott with the only goal of the game. Uh, Liverpool playing no talentless grifters in midfield, going with players with real footballing ability and winning a game of football. It's a remarkable thing. Uh, West Brom 4, Chesterfield nil. John Swift, Tom Rogic, Jake Livermore and Jovan Malcolm with the goals. They're a comprehensive win for West Brom. In fairness, they're a couple of leagues above Chesterfield. They should be beating them comfortably. But Chesterfield gave them a really, really tough game in the first the first meeting. Uh, but this time there was to be no messing about. West Brom have been really good since Carlos Corberon took over. And to his credit, he really has turned things around so quickly. They're up to sixth in the championship. And you'll remember they were stuck at the bottom of the league when he took over. Uh, Steve Bruce was doing a typically Steve Bruce job and leading a team towards a relegation scrap. He was sacked October 10th. October 10th, they had played 13 league games. After 13 league games, they were 22nd. They were 22nd. And now they're 6th. Now, the championship, the nature of the championship is that A couple of wins sees you go right the way up the table and a couple of defeats can see you come right the way back down the table. But they've won 9 of 10 in the league. They did initially drop to dead last. Just after Corbron took over, I think he'd been in charge maybe three games, they dropped to 24th. But now they're up to 6th and they really do look like a team with the potential 
to find their way back into the Premier League. So those were the five games last night. We get Leeds versus Cardiff tonight. And then Accrington Stanley, Boreham Wood next week. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the winners of those games face each other. Let me just make sure of this. Yes, Boreham Wood or Accrington Stanley will host Cardiff or Leeds. So what we have as a draw is Manchester City versus Arsenal. That game takes place on a Friday night. The Saturday games are Walsall versus Leicester. Blackburn versus Birmingham. Bristol versus West Brom. Fulham versus Sunderland. Ipswich versus Burnley. Luton Town versus Grimsby Town. Sheffield Wednesday versus Fleetwood Town. Southampton versus Blackpool. Boreham or Aki versus Cardiff or Leeds. Preston versus Tottenham. Manchester United versus Reading. Brighton versus Liverpool. Stoke versus Stevenage. Wrexham versus Sheffield United. And Derby County versus West Ham. So we are going to see a lot, a lot of non-Premier League teams in the fifth round of the FA Cup, which is going to be really good. There is guaranteed to be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's guaranteed to be seven non-Premier League teams in the last 16. And that's without any possible upsets. If Cardiff were to beat Leeds tonight, that means there would be eight teams guaranteed a spot in the fourth round, in the, in the fifth round. And you wouldn't put it past Derby to beat West Ham, given how dreadful West Ham are right now. So I like to see this in the cup. I like to see lower league teams getting a bit of a cup run. Like, it's great to see Wrexham there as a non-league team. It's great to see Walsall there as a League 2 team. It's a few League 1 teams, a few Championship teams. It's good. It's a nice mix. It's what the FA Cup is about. Those games, the 27th, 28th, and 29th, and 30th. So it's a four-day footballing bonanza in the FA Cup. Not this coming weekend, the following weekend. Uh, We have one Premier League game tonight. It is Crystal Palace versus Manchester United. Palace come into this game in poor form, having lost four of their last five. United come in in very good form, having won their last five in a row. Palace really do need a result here. A draw would be a good result for Palace in this game because they've got to get out of this tailspin that they're in. They managed to put enough points on the board earlier in the season that for now they're not at risk of falling backwards but they are only seven points ahead of West Ham who sit 18th seven points is a lot for a bad team to try and make up but West Ham are not a bad team they're just playing really badly I don't think Palace are going to be at any risk of getting dragged into the relegation mire but they really shouldn't be playing about the way they are right now. They had a disastrous preseason and everything's kind of gone from there. They did have a good run, but now it's a really bad run. And Vieira needs to sort it out. And one of the ways he can sort this out is by no longer playing players that are 
just not performing. Like every single week you look at this Palace team and Jordan Ayew is there. Now I know he's a hard worker, but he's not a particularly good player anymore. Jeff Schlupp is a bit of a liability there as well. You've got Will Hughes on the bench, who's a better player than Schlupp, and a natural central midfielder, which Schlupp is not. You've got Odson Edward, who's a natural number nine, which would allow you to play Zaha wide, or Zaha with Edward and play Elise and Eze in the wide roles. There are internal changes they can make. They're a bit screwed at right back at the minute. Ward and Klein are just past their best, and it's it's as simple as that. They're just past their best. That's the position they should have been looking to fill the 1st of January. They haven't, but they need to soon. United will be full of confidence, especially having beaten City. Now, they were obviously very, very fortunate to beat City. The first goal is clearly offside, but it's a big couple of days for United. Palace and then Arsenal, both away from home. Big, big couple of days. This will put their credentials to the test. United fans have been crowing since they beat City that they're a title contender. Well, now's the chance to show that you're actually a title contender. These two games away from home in a couple of days, no rest period really because you're going to have to Travel down, travel back up, train, travel back down again. Big, big few days for United. Now, they're fortunate enough that once they play these games, they go into the EFL Cup semi-final and the FA Cup third round. They're playing Forest, who you'd expect them to beat, and Reading, who are lower league. But... These few days will be tough. And the next league game after those cup games is Palace again at home. So every time you see a team play twice, you see two teams play twice in a short period of time, you do often get a funky outcome in the second game. So even if United were to win this one, Palace will gain a lot of knowledge in the interim. Palace will also have a break in the interim because they don't have a cup game to come. They'll play at the weekend and then they'll be on a little bit of a hiatus for two weeks. Um, So maybe they go into that United game at Old Trafford refreshed. But this is a big game tonight for both sides. For Palace, because their form has been so poor. It's been so disappointing. And it's not just the the score lines. It's the result. Like, it's, it's the performances. Like, if we look back... Pre-World Cup, they beat Wolves. They get walloped by Everton, which was a poor result and a dreadful performance. They beat Southampton. They beat West Ham away. They get knocked out of the EFL Cup by Newcastle. That's fair enough. Then they lose to Forest. Then they come back. They have a disastrous outing against Fulham. They beat Bournemouth. They get walloped by Spurs. Southampton beat them at home in the Cup. And then they lose to a a mediocre Chelsea team that are heavily rotated. They need a performance tonight. They need a result. Because they've also got a tough game this weekend. They get Newcastle at home. 
Then they get a break. Then it's United away. They need to pick up points. Right now, that looks like three defeats. And they can't afford for that to be three defeats. They really can't. Because it doesn't get easy after that. It's Brighton home, Brentford away, Liverpool home. Villa away. City home, Arsenal away. They're all tough games. That takes you all the way to April. And if you've lost a bunch of those games, you might well find yourself in the relegation places. And that's not where they want to be. Right. I wanted to do my midpoint team of the season, my midpoint player of the season, my midpoint manager of the season. Uh, So we'll do that now. I think the best goalkeeper in the league has been Alison Becker. Now, Nick Pope has only conceded 11 goals in 19 games. He is having a very, very good season. But my logic for Becker is that without him, Liverpool would probably be about 16th. Because they've been so bad and he has kept them in games single-handedly. In the eight games they've won, I would guarantee you'll find at least one massive save from him. In the games they've drawn the same and in the games they've lost, you'll still find big saves from him. He is the only Liverpool player under consideration, but I do think he's been the best keeper in the league. I will accept that some people will say Nick Pope. No problem at all. At right back, I'm going to go Diogo Delo. I think he has been excellent. I'm so surprised at how well he's adapted since coming into the team because he looked like his United career was going to be a bust. He'd been linked with moves away. He'd had a loan spell away. He was stuck behind Wanda Saka. There was talk of them going and buying somebody else to come in. But he's gotten his chance and he's taken it. And he's been really, really good. Defensively, he's really solid. And he's good going forward. He's comfortable on the ball. Can use both feet. Can go on the outside. Can come in field. Can link play. I think Diogo Delo has been the best right back in the league thus far this season. My left back is Purvis Estupinen, who I think has been tremendous. As an outlet for Brighton, he's always available. He provides quality service. They sold Cucurella for $62 million and bought him for 16 That is phenomenal business. £46 million profit and you end up with the better player. So in two transactions with Chelsea, they made a profit of about $68 million and ended up with the, a better left back and a better manager than they had previously. That's how you run a football club. At centre-back, Sven Botman has to be in. He has been outstanding. He has genuinely not put a foot wrong all season long. He's He's been sensational. Dominant. Brings a calmness to that back line. 
they're they're pressing really aggressively as well, and he is absolutely fitting in despite his lack of pace because he reads the game so well. Now I'm going to do something that guy's not going to approve. I'm going to pick two left-footed centre backs because I have to. I have to put an Arsenal player in the back four, and I think Saliba's had a couple of poor games. You are not editing this out, so don't even consider it. I think Saliba's had a couple of poor games, and I think Saliba can be rattled. I think Gabriel has been really good. I think he's been really, really good. Now there'll be Arsenal fans that will call for Saliba. They'll call for Ben White. They'll call for Zinchenko. Zinchenko's missed too much time. Um, Ben White's had a couple of poor games. Saliba's had a couple of poor games. I think Gabriel has been the one consistently strong player in that back line. So I'm going to go Gabriel and Botman. In midfield, I'm not picking Thomas Partey because I don't believe Thomas Partey should currently be playing in the Premier League. That's all I'm going to say about it. From a performance point of view, I think he probably deserves to be in. But from a moral point of view, I don't think he should be playing football. Um, Bruno Gomerich absolutely gets into this team. He has been, from the day they bought him, he has been brilliant. He has been absolutely brilliant. There is no weak point in his game. Everything he does, he does at a very, very high level. Both on and off the ball. So Bruno Gomerich is in. Martin Odegaard is also in. He has been Arsenal's best player for my money. And I think... As, as a captain, I think he's really stepped up, which was surprising to me. Now, he's not a big vocal leader, but he does lead by example. And in games where they're struggling, it's often him who digs them out of it. In games where they've got a slight advantage, but it's on uneven ground, it's generally him that rams home that advantage. Look at the Spurs game. The opening... 10 or 12 minutes were quite even. Arsenal get that goal because Lloris decides to throw the ball into his own net. And after that, it was Odegaard who really came into the game, really stepped up, and then obviously gets the second goal. And he's done that a few times this season. So Martin Odegaard is a must. I don't think you could make a case against putting Kevin De Bruyne in this team. I I think he's been outrageously good as he always is he's the best player in the league so he's in and now the front three Erling Haaland has scored a ludicrous amount of goals though I do think he's made his team worse but given this is just team of the season and not a team you're sending out to play the goals mean he has to be in so Haaland is in. I think Bakayo Saka has to be in. Again, like Odegaard, consistently brilliant all season long. Turns up in big games. He's a match winner for them. He might be the match winner for them. So Bakayo Saka is in.
Marcus Rashford's recent form would warrant strong consideration here because he has been tremendous over the last couple of months. He's been exceptional. It. Let's be fair. It was the month before the World Cup he started to look like himself. Since the World Cup, he has been outrageously good. A big factor in that is that somebody has left. Like, United fans want wanted to deny it, but Cristiano Ronaldo had an enormous negative impact on Rashford and on Bruno Fernandes. And both of them, since the return from the World Cup, have been tremendous. But Rashford, for me, hasn't been good since August. He's been good since about maybe mid-October, but probably a little bit later than that. I don't think Martinelli has done enough to warrant a spot. I think Mitrovic deserves to be in. I think Mitrovic deserves to be in. Now, it means that the team is a bit funky. So we'll go like a 4-4-2 with Gamerish and Odegaard in the middle. De Bruyne one side, Saka the other. Uh, Haaland and Mitrovic for me as a front two. I, I just don't see how you can argue against Mitrovic. Look at the value he adds to that team. And he's scoring goals, he's creating goals, he's leading the line. I think there's one or two other Fulham players that are unlucky not to get in. I think Joe Pellini has been outstanding and certainly warrants mention. Not just him, you look at Brighton. I mean, Alexis McAllister and Moises Caicedo, in particular Caicedo, have been brilliant all season and absolutely warrant mention. Ivan Tony certainly deserving of a mention. No Liverpool player outside of Allison, no Chelsea player deserves any kind of praise for this season. Uh, I don't think any Spurs player deserves praise for this season. They should be far better than what they are. I'm quite happy with this team. Allison, Deleuze, Gabriel, Botman, Stupinen, Saka, Odegaard, Gamerish, De Bruyne, Haaland, Mitrovic. I'm quite happy with that. Uh, manager of the season, there's three candidates. There's Arteta, there's Eddie Howe, and there's Marco Silva. And for me, it's Marco Silva. Because Fulham are new to the league, and Fulham didn't spend $200 million in the previous two transfer windows. So Marco Silva is my manager of the half season. I think he's done an outstanding job. Fulham have not taken a backward step since coming up. 31 points from 20 games. They currently sit sixth in the league. Now, I don't think anybody thinks they'll sustain sixth in the league. I don't think they think they'll sustain sixth in the league. But they weren't being sixth in the league right now. Now, look, they're there because they played two games more than Brighton. And Brighton could easily 
go fifth with one win in their two games in hand. Brighton will go fifth above Spurs. But I'm not going to take away from Fulham. I think they've done really, really well. They've gotten big results this season. They've given the top teams really, really difficult games. I think they absolutely have overachieved, and I think he's the biggest reason for it. Him and Mitrovic. So I've put Mitrovic in my team, and I've put Marco Silva as manager of the half season. Two from Arsenal. Sorry, three from Arsenal. Two from Newcastle. Two from City. One from United. One from Brighton. One from Fulham. Allison's the only player whose team are not in the top six. And they have two games in hand on Fulham where they to win either of them, they would go both Fulham. So I, I think that's fair enough. I do think that's fair enough. Uh, player of the half season. I think it's Bruno Gomerish. I do. I think it's Bruno Gomerish. I think individually, Arsenal are a better team than Newcastle. And collectively, they are as well. They're nine points clear. But I think individually, the gulf is significant between the two. But I think Gamerish is that good that he raises everybody else's level and makes them a far more serious team. Now, he picked up an injury at the weekend. If that injury is serious, and by serious, I mean if it's anything over, it's going to cost him three or four games, I think Toon might might have a bit of a, a fall off. Now, it's worth remembering, they've only lost once in the league all season. The difference between them and Arsenal is that Arsenal have turned draws into wins and Newcastle have gotten them as draws. Newcastle have the better defensive record. I think Gomerish plays a big part in that, along with Botman. But I think Bruno Gomerish is who I go for. Now, it it is with a nod of the cap to Odegaard and Saka, who are probably second and third on my list as player of the season thus far. I'm probably going Gomerish, Odegaard, Saka. One, two, three. But I think Gamerish has more individual value for his team than Saka or Odegaard do for Arsenal. I think if you remove him, the difference from where Newcastle are to where they would be is greater than if you remove Odegaard or Saka out of the Arsenal team. So Bruno Gamerish. Congratulations. I know it's what you've been working for your whole career. You are the Two-Footed Podcast Player of the Half Season. And congrats to everybody on this um, prestigious award that you've been put forward for. Um, I might get some little plaques made and send them on to uh, to Bruno and to Marco Silva. Um, right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we will have a look at the latest news we'll do the gossip and we'll get done nice and early today so we'll see you soon
Right, welcome back. So there's been a couple of transfers confirmed in the last few days. So we might as well catch up with those. Uh, Let's see. Going back as far as the 11th of January, Joe Felix obviously confirmed on loan. Alex Moreno confirmed on loan. And Carlos Alcaraz confirmed. Sorry, Alex Moreno is a permanent deal. And Carlos Alcaraz is a permanent deal at Southampton. Uh, All three of them have already made the debuts. So you've obviously been aware of those. Uh, what else do we have? Mario Lamina, he's made his debut for Wolves now. I think he's going to be a decent fit into their midfield. I think he's a really good squad addition. Uh, Veghorst to Manchester United. It's one of the stranger deals of the window, but it is what it is. We can we spoke about Joseph Bursic yesterday going to Club Bruges. Mikhailo Mudrik obviously has been confirmed to Chelsea. 62 million rising to 89 I'm not being funny. That's it's just outrageous. And I was thinking of this last night. So if we're now at the point where Premier League clubs are paying 85 million inclusive of add-ons to a Portuguese club. Now, admittedly, the Joe Felix deal a few years ago did change the landscape for Portuguese clubs when they're selling. But Liverpool paid a significant sum for Darwin Nunes. Chelsea obviously were quoted a significant sum for Enzo Fernandez. Chelsea have paid a ludicrous sum for Mikhailo Mudrik. United paid a ludicrous sum in the summer to bring in Anthony from the Eredivisie. If we're now at the point where these clubs in those leagues, which are not in the big five, it's actually just, I suppose you could say Portugal, and I would say Portugal are in the big six leagues. They're, they're, I think they're probably number five ahead of France right now. But let's just say the big four leagues. England, Germany, Spain, and, and Italy. They're the, the big four, and everything else is kind of secondary to that. If clubs in those leagues are demanding these type of fees, how long is it going to be before we see a club in South America? Now, other than, obviously, Brazilian youngsters, because there's just something weird about Real Madrid and the way they spend 50, 60 million on Brazilian teenagers. But how long is it going to be before clubs in Argentina and Ecuador, Chile and Uruguay start demanding ludicrous sums? How long will it be before MLS clubs start demanding ludicrous sums? How how long is this sustainable the Premier League is unfortunately driving football, I think, in the wrong direction, where transfer fees are just, they're not in any way aligned with the talent of the player or the track record of the player. Like, Mudrick is a very, very talented young player. Very, very talented. But he's done nothing in his career. Like, to date, he has had. Now, bear in mind, he is 22 years of age and made his debut in the 18 19 season for Shakhtar. In that season, he played 11 games one for Shakhtar, 10 for Arsenal Kiev, no goals. The following season, He played three games for Shakhtar, no goals. 
The following season, he played three games for Shakhtar and 11 games for Desna Chernihev. Played 14 games, all told, no goals. Last season, he played 19 games and scored two goals. All for Shakhtar. And this season, he got 10 and 18. 7 and 12 in the Ukrainian Premier League. And 3 in 6 in the Champions League. So, to date, for his career, he's played 49 club games. 49 club games. That's a season and a bit. And that's it. Nine goals, 65 games, 12 goals for his career. And that is a 60-odd million pound player. He's got eight caps for Ukraine, all won last year, last calendar year. Uh, No goals. So for the career, you're looking at 73 senior appearances and 12 goals. I'm I'm sorry. How on earth do you do you rationalise a fee that could rise to eighty nine million for that? With Anthony, he played eighty two games for Ajax and at least got twenty five goals. We had multiple seasons of him scoring double figures. With Sao Paulo. He scored six in 52. When Ajax bought him, they paid 13 million. Now, he didn't light the light, light the Eredivisie on fire in his two years there. He was pretty good, but he wasn't the standout player in his own team, let alone in the league. And yet United turned around and paid 82 million with a further six million in add-ons. Eighty-two million guaranteed for a player with thirty-one goals in a hundred and thirty-four games in his club career and three goals in fifteen at international level. Like it is just ludicrous. Anyway, moving on. Nottingham Forest confirmed the signing of Danilo. I think that's a sensationally good deal. I think I think that's one of the better deals we're going to see this window. Uh, Wolves confirmed the signing of Pablo Sarabia for $4.4 million. I'm not a big Sarabia fan, but I do think that is good value for a player of his experience and his pedigree. Now I'm sure he was at a contract in the summer, so it's you know it's a good cheap deal for them. But all things considered, I think Wolves have done really well. I mean, thus far in this window, they've brought in Lamina, Sarabia, Cunha on loan, and it looks like Jao Gomes is on his way. Uh, should be done this week. That's that's really strong, clever business, in my view. I think Wolves have had a good window so far. And I'm sure once they get Joe Gomes in, they might look for one more. I could see them maybe looking to bring in one more in defence. Not a starter necessarily, but someone just to supplement what they have. 
Sarah Bjork Gunnarsdottir has won a landmark ruling. She is the captain of Iceland and has won a claim against her former club, Leon, for failing to pay her full salary during a pregnancy. A FIFA tribunal ordered the French side to pay unpaid salaries of more than £72,000. And this has now been upheld after they tried to, after Leon tried to appeal it. But I genuinely, this is my own ignorance. This is not anything else. This is my own ignorance. I genuinely didn't realize that female players were not paid during pregnancy and maternity leave. I mean, that that is an absolute scandal. That is an absolute scandal. You're basically telling these women you can have a career or you can have a family, but you can't have both. That is outrageous. I, I knew that women's women footballers were not being treated the way they should be, but that is outrageous. And any club who follows that practice should be ashamed of themselves. Antonio Conte wants others at the club to be held accountable. I thought this was really good. He said, in, in England, I think there's a bad habit that is only the coach who talks and explains. I've never seen the medical department coming here to explain. I've never seen the club or the sporting director coming here to explain the strategy or vision of the club. And I, I really get this. This is the old school English mentality where we had managers. We don't really have managers anymore. We have head coaches and they're part of a greater footballing structure. Whereas in Italy, Spain, France, Germany, where these kind of structures are far more, not commonplace because they are very commonplace in England right now, but it's there's a, a far greater culture of them. <clears throat> They've had sporting directors in Italy and Spain since the 70s and probably before that. But there is a, a, an air of accountability in those countries that there isn't in England. A manager gets blamed for everything in England. But they're not managers. They're head coaches. Their job is to coach. If the team is performing badly, they should have to answer for that. But they shouldn't have to answer for transfer policy unless they've already made it clear that they have final say. They shouldn't have to answer for, well, why is this player out when it was reported or it was said that he would be out for two weeks? Why is he still out four weeks later? People from the medical department should have to step forward and answer those questions. As simple as that. I think Antonio Conte is absolutely correct here. Now, I will say, it may have been a slightly... um, a slight attempt to divert attention from how poor Spurs are playing right now. But I do think Conte is right. The man who kicked Aaron Ramsdale, J- Joseph Watts, 35-year-old from Hackney, has been charged with assault by beating, going into the area adjacent to a playing area, and throwing a missile onto a football playing area. He will appear at Highbury Magistrates Court on February 17th. Uh, Good. Good. I actually meant to talk about this the other day. 
just because you pay money to go to a game, it does not mean you're part of the game. It does not mean you can abuse players either verbally or physically, and especially not physically. And what I would say is that if if somebody runs onto the pitch and assaults the player and another player gets hold of him and kicks seven shades of shit out of him, the player should face no punishment. In fact, he should be commended for that. If you enter the field of play, you are a threat to the safety of the others on that pitch and you should be dealt with accordingly. So I hope that Joseph Watts, first and foremost, Tottenham should ban him for life. And secondly, I hope he gets punished to the full extent of the law. I've got no love at all for Aaron Ramsdale, but he certainly shouldn't have to worry about some little scrote who looks like a fella from the in-betweeners coming across the ball or the advertising boards and kicking him in the back when he's not looking. For those who watched the BBC's coverage of Liverpool versus Wolves last night, uh, you will have heard um, porn. <laughs> You will have heard noises from porn being played. They found a phone that had been taped to the back of the set and YouTube prankster Daniel Jarvis has claimed he was behind the stunt. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it was hilarious. Poor Gary Lineker. Didn't know which way to look, didn't know what to see. Absolutely brilliant. I want to go and watch the the video that Jarvis has put up on YouTube about it. I I can only imagine it's it's funny. Uh, He's previously been given a suspended sentence last October, having been convicted of aggravated trespass over an incident in which he collided with England cricketer Johnny Barstow while invading the old pitch. Okay, well, for that, he should have been bet with a cricket bat. Um... He was given an eight-week suspended sentence and has been banned from attending any venue where a sporting fixture is being held in England or Wales for two years. He was also banned from travelling abroad and made subject to a rehabilitation activity requirement. Well, I wonder, is he going to get himself in a bit of trouble over this then? Uh, But still, uh, if, if you get the views, if you get the views and get that nice ad revenue, uh, though it is January, so the the ad revenue on YouTube will be down. But still, yeah, crack on. Uh, Jim Radcliffe's company, Ineos, formally joins Process to buy Manchester United. So, I have seen a lot of Manchester United fans talking about their takeover. And I have seen... A lot of them claim, or not claim, but state that they do not want to be state-owned. Which is fair enough. 
So this tweet I saw yesterday, United is self-sustaining. We don't need bankrolling. Just owners who run it responsibly. Everything else will take care of itself. Well, that's fair enough. But let's let's dig in a, li- a little bit. So United, currently the Glazers want somewhere between 6 and 7 billion for a club that's worth around around 4 to 4.5 billion. So that represents an overpay of somewhere between a billion and a half to 3 billion. If they pay six, but it's worth four and a half, it's a billion and a half. If they pay seven, but it's worth four, it's three. On top of that, right? On top of asking for significantly more than the club is worth. And here's why the club isn't worth more. They have 600 million in loans right now. They have 300 million in transfer debt to other clubs. There is a significant need for Old Trafford to be redeveloped, modernized, upgraded. That's going to cost, in the region of about 600 million minimum. They also need a new training ground and new academy. And that's going to cost, in the region of 100 million minimum. So that's 1.6 billion there on top of the ridiculous asking price. So you're basically asking someone to overpay for the club by between 1.5 and 3 billion and then spend 1.6 billion just to fix the accounts and the infrastructure. That's before you get into fixing the actual football structure of the side, restructuring the business side. And that's before you get into the playing squad. So United basically need a fool. The Glazers are looking for a fool to buy the club. And Jim Ratcliffe isn't a fool. So for him to buy the club, the asking price is going to need to come down. It's as simple as that. Because Jim Ratcliffe himself does not have the cash to go and buy the club. He wants to use his company, Ineos, as a vehicle to buy the club. But Ineos has a board of directors. And it has shareholders. And those shareholders and board of directors will have to sign off on this purchase. And it is, to me, very difficult to see them signing off of spending between somewhere, somewhere between 7.6 and 8.6 billion to buy and fix United's glaring issues. Remember this as well. The Glazers had no interest in selling the club in the summer. And when Jim Ratcliffe announced in August that he had tried to purchase the club and the Glazers had no interest, the share price for Manchester United dropped to about $11 per share. Okay? Dropped to $11 per share. But then... When they announced they were selling in November, the share price, which had risen to about $13.5 per share, sprung up to $23 per share and has stayed at $23 per share 
So what the Glazers have done is they've inflated. They've inflated the value of the club. They've inflated the value of their shares. So I think, now I could be completely wrong. I think it's almost more likely that they sell a piece or maybe two pieces of the club at the inflated share price than then selling the whole thing. Because I don't know that anyone's going to be willing to come in and commit the amount of money that's required to fix the finances and the stadium and the training ground and whatever else. I think it's more likely they sell a piece of the of the pie at the inflated share price that they created by saying they were selling the club. That's my guess. I could be completely wrong. I just don't see that Jim Radcliffe is going to be willing to pay the asking price and then put all that money in to fix the club. Let's move to the gossip and get out of here for today. West Ham are looking at making a move for Harry Maguire. They want to bring him in on loan. I'm not sure why, but, you know, Moyes is is floundering right now and this is the move of a floundering man. Manchester United winger Alejandro Garnacho has yet to sign a new deal at Old Trafford. His representatives want more than the 20000 a week that has been offered. Real Madrid and Juventus are currently monitoring the situation. I would imagine everybody is currently monitoring the situation. Liverpool have made Jude Bellingham and Matthias Nunes their prime targets this summer. Arsenal have made initial contact over Moussa Diaby, but the German club do not want to sell. The German club being Bayer Leverkusen. Do not want to sell in January. And when they do decide to sell, they're going to use the Anthony and Mudrik prices as their starting point. They're going to ask for $100 million. Now, they were already hinting that that's what they wanted. But this is going to confirm it. And he's a better player now than either of them were when they moved. He's far more proven. This is year four of him being a very good player in the Bundesliga. Last season, he got 17 goals in 42 games as a winger. This is a very, very good player with great pedigree. He'll be 24 in the summer. They are going to get what they ask for. And that price is going to be over what he's actually worth. I would say if you could get Moussa Diaby for between 50 and 60 million, that would be a good price. A good price. Not a great price, but a good price. For the, for the buying club. For the selling club, I think that's a great price. If you pay $100 million for him, you have been absolutely stitched up. Barcelona have serious interest in signing Ilkay Gundogan in the summer. Makes sense. Chelsea are monitoring the future of Leandro Trossard. Uh, Chelsea have absolutely, absolutely no need for him, but, you know, they are Chelsea. Everton could make a move for... Musa Dembele, who's Leon Contra Dens in the summer. A guy nailed it yesterday. Perfect for Southampton. Absolutely perfect for Southampton. Leon are attempting to hijack Wolves' attempts to sign Joe Gomes. Apparently, the player wants the Wolves move, but Flamengo want to sell him to Leon because Leon are offering a higher fee. So I'm guessing this just ends with Wolves paying a little bit more. Leicester have had a £30 million bid for Argentina Ford. 
Nicholas Gonzalez rejected by Fiorentina. If Leicester have bid 30 million for somebody who isn't a centre-back, everybody at the club should be fired. Southampton are getting closer to a permanent deal for Nicholas Jackson. I believe that deal has now at least been reached. He is flying to England today for a medical. So it looks like that deal will go through. Nicholas Jackson joining Southampton. Super talented, but not a nine. Crystal Palace are interested in bringing Conor Gallagher back to the club. Makes a lot of sense. Nottingham Forest, Southampton, Everton and Newcastle have also made inquiries. If he is going to leave Chelsea... Newcastle is the best move, obviously, because, you know, they're at the top of the table. But he'd be a great fit back at Palace. He really would. Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest and Al-Nazir are interested in Kaylor Navas. News today from John Percy that Dean Henderson is going to be out for three to four weeks. Kaylor Navas would make a, make a ton of sense for them till the end of the season. And then he can go off to Al-Nazir at that point if he wants uh, Bournemouth, they've got Neto to come back. I think they're okay. Uh, Forest are also considering a move for Chris Wood. It's football insider, so probably crap. Uh, Napoli director of football, Cristiano Giantulo, Giantuli, uh, Giantuli, I think, has, says he is optimistic that the club can sign Azadine Unahi, who has been linked with Aston Villa and Leeds. Leeds look like they're in the best position at the moment, but apparently the player does want to move to Napoli. Belgium wingback Yannick Carrasco's agent. It's so bad that he's referred to as a wingback now. He's a winger. He just gets played out of position. Uh, it says talks are taking place for him to move to Barcelona and Memphis Depay going the opposite way. It really does seem like Atletico Madrid are purposely setting out to just hamstring themselves financially uh, while helping Barcelona unhamstring themselves. Bayern Munich have had a bid of 8 million euro with 1 million in add-ons for Jan Sommer rejected by Borussia Mönchengladbach. Am I right in thinking he's got a few months left in his contract and is out of is out of it this summer? Let's see. I think I'm right in this. Yeah, he's out of contract this summer. That's a strange move. I know I know Gladbach want to keep him, but like let's be really honest here. He's going to get better offers cuz Clubs like United are interested in them, and there's someone's going to throw stupid money at them that you can't match. You're currently eighth in the league. You're eighth in the league. You're going to finish in mid-table. By the way, has anyone else noticed the Bundesliga has been off for an extraordinary amount of time? They finished up on November 13th. November 13th. And the first game back is this Friday. They've had like over two months off. Imagine how tight their schedule is going to be the rest of the way. But yeah, I mean, I I think they're being foolish by turning that down. Former Leeds United manager Marcelo Bielsa is the Mexican Football Federation's favourite candidate to take over as boss of the national team. I really, really want him to take the Uruguay job, but it doesn't look like he will. Uh, German goalkeeper Larice Carrius is expected to extend his deal at Newcastle beyond January as talks play, take place between the two parties. I'm delighted for Carrius that that is happening. I, I've always had a soft spot for Carrius. Uh, I think he's been very, very unfortunate. So, um, yeah, I, I think good for him and, and good for Newcastle. And that's it. That is me for today, folks. Thank you, as always.
I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy that Palace United game tonight or Leeds Cardiff if you want to watch that. But uh, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.